Just don't put it too close to the Bunsen burner. Don't put it. No, that could be very dangerous. It could be a very explosive situation. Do you have a better answer? Uh, I don't, but I can try to come up with the next best thing. Okay, fair enough. Try. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. Today on the show, we discuss making time for outreach. Even if your PI isn't totally on board, stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 35. I'm Joshua Hall, and we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. So you may have noticed there was no Daniel in the intro today. Um, He is traveling, and so I'm holding down the fort here in Hello PhD Studios on my own. So what we're going to do this week is something a little different. We actually have a lot of things that we always want to talk about and fit onto the show, but we don't always have time. Um, or a good place to to put it in there. Um, We had some great feedback from our episode a few weeks ago on reading scientific papers. And so we haven't really found a good place to put that in. So I'm going to put that in right now. Um, Some conversation Dan and I had um, a couple weeks back on some feedback we had on that papers episode. Then what I want to do is way back in August of last year, we had a great episode that actually was was pretty popular called um, Haters Gonna Hate on Dealing with Haters, Dealing with Critics in the Lab. And we had a great conversation around a listener question from Susie on dealing with critics and, and haters and people who you really just can't seem to please. But also on that episode, um, towards the end, we also answered a question from another grad student who really was interested in doing science outreach. That was an important thing to him and something he wanted to incorporate in his training and wanted to know the best ways to make time with that given all of the other uh, busyness and constraints of graduate school. And so we had a really, really great conversation uh, on that question. And I think the conversation we had surrounding that question really was useful not just for individuals who want to do outreach, but for anyone who is a trainee, whether you're a grad student or postdoc, who maybe knows as a career you want to step away from the bench and it's important to you to get experience and be involved in things outside of the lab, whether that's science outreach or teaching or writing or really anything else. And so I think this conversation will be useful to you if if that sounds like you. So anyway, I wanted to include that. This was part of episode six back in August. I thought it was important enough that we could have it here in case you weren't able to hear it or you didn't hear it back then. So some feedback on our paper reading episode, and then we'll jump into that listener question on outreach. Dan, we got some feedback from our last episode about reading papers. Yeah, let's let's hear from uh, the actual person who asked the question. You know, it took us a little while to get to that issue on the show, um, but we got an email back, and he mentioned that he has actually found some research that he likes reading about. He says he's found both his stride... He's a, he's a graduate student. Graduate right? student, yeah. And he was really struggling going through this literature. He's in a lab that was not good for him. Um, didn't want to keep up with it. But then he found some some research he liked. He's going to do more computational biology, but he says he really loves reading about it. So there is hope. And that was the advice we gave. Find the things that you do like to do. So my advice was actually useful to pay attention to the things you actually like to read and pursue that. For once, even blind squirrels find acorns, Josh. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, Dan, going back to last week's episode, we talked about you know ways to read papers more effectively and 
and how to get what you need out of papers. But one thing that I thought was important to talk about was there's so many papers you have to deal with in graduate school. How did you keep up with all your papers? Um, stacks and paper cuts. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're not old. It wasn't that long ago, but there still was quite a bit of printing things out and putting them in oh, physical yeah, folders, right? Yeah, I, you, would, you would not try and read them on your computer so often. You just put them in stacks. Well, I actually asked some people on social media and on the LabRat subreddit about what they use to organize their papers. And they're actually was one that I heard of that I used and then a couple that I had not heard of, but I wanted to share these with our listeners. So the most most popular paper organizing software tool that people are using is Mendeley. So Yeah, and I've actually tried that out since we started this show and, and we had a couple of papers we were referencing. I picked it up, started using it, and it's great. You can highlight things, you can keep track of your papers, make notes. It's really cool. Yeah, and it seems to be free and cloud-based. So yeah, and it's, and it's actually like well-designed. It's not this kind of free thing that's kludgy and rough around the edges. It looks really great. Yeah, so Mendeley, check that one out if you haven't used it. Uh, the second most popular, a lot of people are using papers. That's actually the one that I've been using for a number of years. So I always like to say papers is sort of like the iTunes for papers. And that one actually does cost money. That one does cost some money. Um, if you do go that route, there is an educational discount that you can get. More for the one percenters among us. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. And then the last one people mentioned, another free option is Zotero. Is that how you say it? Zotero? I have no idea. Or Zotero? Zotero. I have no idea. It looks like Zotero to me, but I have no idea. So that's another free one a lot of people use. All of these now seem to not only be a good organizing method for your papers, but also um, fully integrate with doing citations, which is cool. I remember back in the day, we always had our physical folder full of documents and then EndNote. And hours and hours of typing. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like all these will do citations for you. So anyway... Um, it's a new world, graduate students and postdocs. We had clay tablets that we had to etch by hand, <laughs> and you've right. got computers. So that's right. So, uh, so check one of those out if you haven't. If there's something else you use, let us know. Now, here's our question from Sean that came in back in August. Let me go ahead and read it. So this is from Sean. He's a first-year graduate student, and he says... One of the many things I want to continue to do during grad school is to volunteer and become part of outreach programs. I acknowledge that I'm going to have a lot on my plate very soon, but I still want to volunteer and continue doing some form of work that likens the after-school teaching I was doing during my undergrad. Is it feasible to find time for outreach while in graduate school? Ouch, that's a time graduate school? I don't know. <laughs> that is a great question. That's actually something that I think a lot of students face uh, and postdocs, for for that matter. So, you know, I think more and more students and postdocs, I think a lot of graduate students actually are coming in savvy enough about um, future careers and knowing that not everybody is going on to a faculty position, that there aren't enough faculty positions, even if every student did want to become a faculty member, which they don't. And so students are actually coming in thinking about even at the very beginning, other things they might want to do and other experiences they might want to have. And so I think Sean's question is a very good one. How do you get those experiences when certainly the expectation is you're going to be spending the vast majority, if not all your time, in the research lab doing research? And I know some students um, also come up against PIs that maybe aren't super amenable to them taking time out of the, the lab to go do other things. I have a great solution. Here's what you do, Sean. You get a lab coat and you stuff it full of old clothes. <laughs> and then you inflate 
a balloon head and draw your face on it <laughs> and set it at the bench, you're golden. Go do what you want. Just don't put it too close to the Bunsen burner. Don't put it. No, that could be very dangerous. It'd be a very explosive situation. Do you have a better answer? Uh, I don't, but I can try to come up with the next best thing. Okay, fair enough. Try. Uh, so I think I think there are a few things here. Um, one, uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a few. Um, I'm gonna take this question to the next level a little bit. So, boom, <laughs> to the next level. So, what do you do if you actually have a faculty member? Uh, mentor, a faculty mentor who you know is not supportive of you. I mean, are, are very many of them supportive of things outside of the lab? So I think this is an area that's changing somewhat. Oh, that's great. And that's I, think there's news. Some, I think there's some reasons for that. And one of the things that's important to do is you need to think about things from not just your perspective of what you need to get, but also think about things from your faculty mentor's perspective as well. Your mentor... He or she is focusing on, they're focusing on their career as well. And, you know, they have a lot of pressure on them, getting grants in an ever increasingly competitive funding climate, trying to keep the lab funded and afloat, trying to get tenure. And the way they do that is you producing stuff. Yeah, I mean, right? it's a, it's a, it is a fair point. If, if I embody that faculty member, I might look at Sean and say, come on, you've got to pull your weight. I've... I've got grants and deadlines and, and things going on. Yeah, I brought you here thinking, okay, how is Sean going to help me yeah. advance my career? Now Sean's telling me... I want to go do outreach, yeah. Exactly. So I think what's important is... So we actually have another question that has come in that the reason you're there, first and foremost, is to do research. That's what you were hired to do. Even if that's not ultimately what you want to do when you leave that place, um, part of the training you're getting is through getting research. Now, that being said, getting research is not the only part of your training. And actually, uh, more and more, the NIH especially has even made statements that for postdocs and grad students, um, doing certain career exploratory things are classified as part of your training as a trainee, not just working in the lab. Now, I had a, a fellow graduate student in my department while we were uh, studying together, and she signed up for an English lit class. Is that you know, that that seems like it might be too far afield, but she enjoyed it. I guess something if, she cared about. I guess if you could justify it. But I think what's important is, and what I was getting at, is you need to think about how can me getting these experiences in some way be beneficial to my PI? Because I think there actually are, um, especially you specifically mentioned outreach. So, so is this marketing or you think there are actually values to the PI of you doing outreach? I think there are very much values. And so one thing that that has happened as funding gets tighter is more and more funding agencies, the NIH, NSF, are looking at Not things, familiar with those. <laughs> <laughs> things that they call broader impacts. And so, you know, there's a lot of great scientists out there, a lot of great uh, grants that are being written. But more and more of these agencies want to see how can this research have a broader impact on society, on the public. And so more and more grants can become more competitive by having these outreach components within the grant. So, and that's, um, a, that's a line item in the grant application, isn't it? Where they ask, what are you going to do with this? Who, how does this benefit the state of whatever? And how does this benefit the people that are funding it? Absolutely. So as an individual who's interested in science and interested in science outreach, 
uh, you actually become an asset and you can use that to your advantage that actually can help you become more competitive as you apply for research funding. And so I think that's one, you know, one way that you can approach this with your, with your PI. Um, you know, I think another thing you can say is, I think in a lot of cases, if you think about your own productivity, I always found that I was more productive when I was also pursuing other things that I was very, very interested in, and especially, so outreach is very um, much a passion of mine as well. And so sometimes I found if I was in the lab for long enough, I would start to lose sight of the big picture, and I would sort of have my head in the sand, and my motivation level would, would start to wane a little bit. And so I'd find when I'd go out and talk to a class of high school students or um, go talk to a group in the public or non-scientists every beer and really approach my science from this higher up perspective, this more big picture perspective, or see other people get excited about science through the things I was doing, I was actually more motivated once I came back to the lab after having those experiences. Yeah, it makes it more excited when somebody else hears what you're doing and they're excited and they, they ask you, you know, wow, what does this mean and how does that work? And, and you do see it through their eyes at that point. Yeah, and you know, another thing you could do would be think about a way to involve your PI in the process. Um, I actually have a specific example that I can think of. I was running an outreach program where we were bringing high school students into labs. And so I was approaching it through um, contacting graduate students and postdocs who were interested in hosting these students, these high school students. And there was a PI who was resistant at first, but the grad student talked the PI into it. And what happened was after the student was there, the student actually met the high school student, talked to the PI. The PI saw the enthusiasm of the student. And then I actually passed along, um, after the fact, uh, a reflection and thank you note the high school student had written about what a big deal that was to the student. And then suddenly now yeah. the faculty member is a huge supporter and wanting to do this again in the future. So maybe there's a way you can involve um, I think your that's mentor great. in the process. We talk to college professors every day and you think nothing of it. But if you're in a high school, I mean, it's like doctors and firemen and college professors are, are superstars, really. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, this is sort of my own personal rant now. But if we think about most of scientific research um, the vast majority is publicly funded. And so you could argue that it's our duty as scientists to share the research findings um, and the knowledge that we're gaining with public dollars with the taxpayers themselves. That's my money, and I command you to go out and help people with it. Well, not to mention, you know, I think we've, we've all experienced in the science world um, growing levels of skepticism about science and scientists. So I also see it as being um, an important bridge building uh, opportunity to have scientists really not just hold up in the lab um, where people have these viewpoints of scientists as these, um, you know, these Einstein awkward characters, but really we need to be out there um, in the public talking about science in an understandable way um, to really educate people and show them that we're just real people who are interested in making a difference like anybody else. That way our politicians can't get a soundbite talking about how people actually do research on fruit flies and and the audience listens and says, yeah, that sounds so silly. Who does research on fruit flies? Yeah, and you know we have failed if that's what if that's what people think. So we need to be out there uh, engaging with the public. And so, um, yeah. But what I want to say is, at the end of the day, Sean. Again, I feel like I say this all the time. It's your life, and it's up to you. You know, I think for your training, um, anytime you're you're a student of any kind, 
you have to care the most about your own training. Um, I think it's great that you already have a little bit of an idea of the things you like to do. Um, you like to do outreach. You've been doing outreach in the past. You want to do it in the future. It's important that you find ways to do that. And I think at the end of the day, if you have a situation where roadblocks just keep putting up, you're not able to do it. Um, you know, it's just going to be up to you to find the opportunities to do it, do the work you need to do, um, but still get out there and, and do the outreach. And your advice is don't do it on the sly. Try to loop the the faculty mentor in so that it's not a big surprise that you've been doing this secretly for the last eight months. I think that's your first, I think you should pursue that Better option. to beg forgiveness than ask permission. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, if, you know, if a hard line is drawn, uh, don't forget that, you know, you have the right to do that as part of your training. But one thing I do want to say is don't lose sight of the fact that the primary reason you're in the lab, though, is to be a productive member of the research team and to actually be producing. And so it's very understandable uh, if you're not doing the things that you need to do um, in the research lab, but then you're out doing lots of other things, that is going to be frustrating uh, to a mentor who is probably paying you primarily to do research. And if all else fails, you can try my idea of stuffing a lab coat. Just watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It'll be very clear what you need to do. There's always that. All right. Well, I hope you all found that discussion to be useful. Since Dan is away, there will not be an etymology puzzle this week. So if you have an answer to last week's puzzle, stick around. We will be announcing the winners to that next week and we'll be back at you with a new puzzle. In the meantime, if you have feedback on a past episode or if you have a topic that you would like for us to discuss on a future episode, we would love to hear it. So you can send us an email, podcast at hellophd.com. Or you can reach out to us on social media. We're on Twitter at HelloPhD or on the Facebook page. Also, we would love it if you'd help us spread the word. Leave us a review or a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcast. That really helps. We love to read it, and it also helps get the word out to other people. If you found this podcast to be helpful for you or interesting and you've got a colleague or friend uh, in your lab or in your department you think would like what we're talking about, we'd appreciate it if you'd spread the word to them. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll be back at you again next week.